Guys, we are talking about the characteristics of presence and we've finished reconciliation, we've finished uh, prosperity. Finished as in we've touched on reconciliation and prosperity. And now we come to the fear of God. And we had talked about the fear of God in Feb. In the middle of Feb we had talked about the fear of God but there's more added to it now as should be the case. And so we look at it again. So what are we saying? We are saying that Moses said in Exodus 33 verses 11, uh, 14 to 17 Moses said that O oh God your presence is what distinguishes us from all the people of every other nation on the face of the earth. And so uh, that's what makes us distinct. And that's where we started some six weeks ago and we are saying that when the presence of God is in a people, there are some characteristics that are manifested. One of the characteristics we said is reconciliation. We dealt with that. The other characteristic is prosperity, which we talked about last week. And now we are talking about the fear of God. A people in whom the presence of God is manifest, not as in resident, but both resident and manifest, will cultivate or will express this amazing thing called the fear of God. And so how do I know or how do you know that Jacob in your life there is a manifest presence of God? You will see in Jacob's life the cultivation of the fear of God. And so we are going to talk about what this fear of God is today. And so what did we say these characteristics or outworkings of his manifest presence are? We said reconciliation, we said prosperity, we said fear of God. Then we will deal with fearlessness as in boldness, signs and wonders, zeal and passion, reproduction as in both after his kind and numerically, liberty as in freedom and dominion. These are the topics that we will cover and then perhaps stop or add more to it. So let's talk about the fear of the Lord. Guys, here's the thing. Huh? The fear of the Lord is a fear born in love. It really complicates things. The fear of the Lord is a fear that is born out of love. That is born out of love in that it dreads offending the father I love. Very different from the Old Testament concept. In the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord had reverence in it and had a lot of trembling and shaking in it. I'm not saying we have we put that behind. But in the New Testament, there's this new, new take on the fear of the Lord. Where the fear of the Lord is a fear that is born out of love. And what do I mean by that? It's that I dread offending the father I love. How cool is that? That I dread offending the father I love. It's a fear born out of love. So the fear of God is impossible without recognizing the love of the father so that you can now love him back and live in the fear or the dread of offending the father who you love. I, I love what Jesus has done to to the Old Testament. He's put such a cool spin on it. Where everything changes. 
So the fear of the Lord is a fear born out of love. It dreads offending the Father that you love. And so it's impossible to understand the fear of God unless you understand the love of the Father. It's impossible to have the fear of God without understanding the love of the Father. So, we cannot therefore understand the fear of God without understanding the love of the Father. Comes back to all that we were talking about yesterday. So, let, let me throw these things at you just so you have an estimation of where you are at and where I am at and how we need to upgrade. Guys, as 2014 rolls around, comes along, you're okay, Kamal? Feeling hot, cold? You're feeling warm. But otherwise you're good. This is true. <laughs> yeah. It will change perhaps after tonight. So, <laughs> the... The fear of the okay. So, guys, here are some questions. I w- uh, questions and statements I want to throw out at you and me, and it'll give us an understanding of where we are at. And I would so suggest that as 2014 rolls along, um, why don't you upgrade? Why don't you upgrade your perception of God because it's vital to this. So, what is your vision of the Father? What is your vision or your perception of the Father? Because, guys, how you see Him is how you will see yourself and how you will live your life. I think it's such an important statement that I've made. What is your vision or perception of the Father? Because how you see Him is how you will see yourself and how you will live your life. For example, if I see the Father as judgmental, then I will see my life as one that has to be severely judged, analyzed and I will live my life that way too, afraid of being judged if I see my father as joyful and kind I will begin to live a life that now basks in his kindness and his joy over me and I will begin to live that way If I see the father as uninterested, I will see uh, my life as one that has to constantly do things to persuade or draw his interest. And I'll begin to live my life striving always for his interest. Go home and ask yourself, what is my perception of the father? And it will show you why your life is where it is and why my life is where it is. Because how I see him is how I see myself and how I live my life. If I see him as hard to please, then how do I see my life? A life that is constantly trying to please, that is constantly trying to be deserving. And so everything in my life gets colored. My marriage gets colored. How I get money gets colored. How I relate to you gets colored. Because now there is this need in my life, because I see the Father differently, to always please. How do you see the Father? Are you a sinner who struggles 
with the love of the Father? Are you a sinner who struggles with the love of the Father? Or are you a lover of the Father who occasionally struggles with sin? Are you a sinner who struggles with the love of the Father? Or are you a lover of the Father who occasionally struggles with sin? Changes everything depending on where I'm at. If I am someone who, as a Christian, bound for heaven, is struggling with the concept of the love of the Father on a daily, weekly basis, then yes, this thing called sin can be overpowering. Or am I a lover of the Father, which makes it then so different? Because now I'm the lover of the fa- I'm a lover of the Father who struggles with sin every now and then. Guys, the right image of the Father will open heaven for you here on earth. I'm telling you, man, it is so true. The right image of the Father will open heaven for you here on earth so upgrade your image as 2014 comes along upgrade that image as the image of my father changes to who he is heaven will open here on the earth for me I mean we sang um, your presence is heaven to me Uh, a couple of days ago one of the things the Lord was saying to me was heaven has plenty of all that you need I was struggling with an aspect of provision and the song came to man and I started singing it and in the middle of the song I felt the Lord saying hey Jacob, heaven has plenty of all that you need not heaven has enough for you or heaven is sufficient heaven has plenty of all that you need and suddenly I began to hone in on the father as one who provides just like my earthly dad did my earthly dad went out of his way he, he worked longer beyond retirement because his son was not still on his feet and was in Canada and he worked a couple of years more so that he could send me money. Because I squandered a lot of his money so he had to work an extra two years but he still did it. The image of the father if upgraded will open heaven to you on earth. So, ask myself, what is my perception of God when I pray? Is He someone who needs to be persuaded? <laughs> Amazing how many times we think that. That as we pray, God is someone who has to be persuaded. Yeah. That He has to be persuaded. Is the Father someone who needs to be persuaded? Or, when I go to pray, do I think that the Father is someone who's deeply interested in me and delighted with me and is uh, intently having his ear inclined to me every time I open my mouth. What a difference prayer will take on if I think God does not need to be persuaded and that he's actually interested and delighted in me. There are days when your children know that you're in a good mood. And those days, they come to you and they ask for ridiculous things. 
I remember one day when my dad, I know I've told you this, when my dad took me uh, with him in a jeep uh, into a market area, I knew he was in a good mood. He loved having my company there. And we saw a guy with a horse and its colt walking by the roadside. And I asked my dad to stop the jeep and ask him to buy me the horse. Because I wanted to go to school on a horse. I wanted to ride to school. And he was in such a good mood that he ex- he stopped. We looked at the horse and then he told me, um, asked me whether I'd be willing to get up in the morning, feed the horse. Asked me whether I'd like to clean up its poo when it poos. Uh, asked me where I would tie up the horse when I'd be in class. And he didn't need to ask too many questions. I said, no, Dad, I'll bike to school. And so I decided to bike and not ride a horse. The point being... <laughs> I always wanted to be the first cowboy in India, but <laughs> never worked out. <laughs> first Indian cowboy. I had a 10-gallon hat, yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's right there. <laughs> it's right there. And no, I'd prefer coming by my Tucson and not by a horse to church, so don't buy me one. <laughs> yeah, that's a Mexican. As usual, we are going down a rabbit trail, let me get us back. <laughs> I started it, I admit, yeah. So guys, uh, it's so different when you know your dad is interested, that his ear is inclined to you, that he delight, he's delighted with you being with him, how it changes prayer. But I would suggest to you that many of us, me included, so many times feel like we have to persuade him in prayer. Do you know that he loves you by choice and not because he created you? He loves you by choice. He chooses. This is his choice. He wants to love you. He loves me by choice. And yet, how often do I try to deserve the Father's love? So much of my life is sometimes spent trying to deserve the Father's love. But he loves me by choice. I have phrased it differently once before. I said he loved us into existence. He loved us. He didn't even create us. He loved us into existence. It's a choice. He's, it's his choice. And yet so much time I spend in deserve, deserving his love. I said this yesterday. When you do well, God approves of you. When you do poorly, God accepts you. When you do well, God approves of you. When you do poorly, God accepts you. There's never any deserving of his love. I was fascinated by this statement or question. Do you think, guys, that the Father loves you more today than when you were an unbeliever? Just think of that. He does not love you more today than when you were an unbeliever and lived in hostility or did not know him. He does not love you more today. If that is the case, it's ridiculous to think that people out there who do not know the Lord are loved as much by him today as they will if they met the Lord tomorrow. Works. Is the Father's love for you ever less than 100%? No. It has never been less than 100% since the day you were born. The difference is we now begin to experience it because we know Him. And they are not able to experience it. They occasionally catch glimpses of it 
and they perhaps give credit to some other person or some other God. But to think that God loved me the same as He loves me today, even when I did not know Him, blesses my heart. What kind of God is this? But you see, when we begin to see the Father like this, you're like a child that is weaned. Quiet, restful, peace. Here's another question. Is the father the happiest person you know? We never think of stuff like that. Because from what we've heard, he's grumpy most of the time. Is the father the happiest person you know? Is he the kindest person you know? Is he the most trustworthy person you know? When was the last time you were overwhelmed by his love? Tangibly. You know, I believe he's trustworthy. But I've never thought of him as the happiest person I know. The joyfulest, happy, happiest, irrepressibly laughter-filled God. I've, I don't often think of him like that. Because if I did, it would change the way I approach him, to change the way I live, and it will change the way I live with you. Does it occur to you that he looks forward to loving and enjoying you every day? Not to me. doesn't happen to me every day. Does it occur to you that he looks forward to enjoying and loving you every day? There are days I wake up and I don't think he's particularly looking forward to enjoying me today. Guys, the reason I'm asking this question is to expose where our minds and our hearts are at. What a different God we are looking at. But if I don't recognize this Father that we are talking about, then the fear of God cannot be born out of love. And I will not dread offending the Father I love. Because I cannot love Him till I recognize how much He loves me. You know, we let circumstances harass us, torment us, and frustrate our relationship with the Father. Have you noticed how when circumstances get tight, when things begin to press in, what does it do? It harasses, torments, and frustrates our relationship with Him. It's like, where is He? He's not here. Abandoned. Uh, no good. I've said my prayers. Nothing has happened. Uh, line after line after line comes out. I would suggest to you that circumstances reveal two things. One, it reveals our understanding of God, and two, our understanding of the nature of the Father. Both are the same. Circumstances revealed our understanding of the nature of the Father. This is why I said some weeks ago, <laughs> I think I quoted Abraham Lincoln, he said, if you give me four hours to cut down a tree, I'll spend three hours sharpening the axe. It's during times of peace when there are no problems, when there is no crisis, that I'm supposed to sharpen my axe so that when crisis comes, it reveals my understanding of the nature of the Father. Meditate on scriptures, guys, that reflects the nature of God. I'll help you with that today before you go. Meditate on scriptures that reflect the nature of God. How? Take one scripture and spend an entire week going over it again and again and again and again and again. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, it, I think it was Psalm 28, verse 7 or something I got. Every morning I'd get up 
and I'd go over it again and again and again. What is meditating? Self, God-directed self-talk. God-directed self-talk. Where I take the scripture, it's God-directed, and I examine it from every side. Just like you examine uh, your iPhone 5S. Look at this way and this way. It's the same phone, but every angle. And if it's got a gold back, oh, then you show it around too. Oh, no, I'm not looking at you. I don't know why you are feeling guilty suddenly. You read that verse, she read it right now, we all nodded sagely, uh, which is great, we should nod sagely. Uh, but now, if you really want to understand that, you'll have to take it for a week at least. Go over it, again and again and again, pondering on it. And then it becomes real. Changes your perception of God and your mind. Yeah. Any questions before we go on? Any questions before we go on? That was not a question, by the way. Yeah, it's very rarely that answers come from that side of the room. But. Okay. So, so what is the fear of the Lord? Let's examine other things about the fear of the Lord, keeping this in the background. We always keep this in the background as we talk about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, guys, part of it is Deuteronomy 4.24, where it says, our God is a jealous God. He is a consuming fire. Our God is a jealous God. He is a consuming fire. Why, are, why am I bringing that up? Guys, one of the things you need to understand about the Father is that He is consuming fire and He'll actively clean your house, torching all that needs to be burnt, and He won't quit until it's cleansed. That is the nature of a loving father. God is consuming fire because he is jealous over his reputation and over you because his reputation is now connected to you. Hey, why is it that when Gabriel starts crying, after a while, when the crying gets louder and louder and louder, why does Mariana walk with the child into the room? Two reasons. One, it's her child, needs to be calmed. That's one. Two, she does not want you to think that her child is a reason for a disturbance because her reputation as a mom is connected to her child and so she takes the child and moves away. We don't realize this, but our father thinks of us much Highlier than we think of him. Highlier is Greek. And so. And so. So. I knew there was something wrong with the word. Thank you, Elmer, for helping out. And so. And so uh, because he thinks of us much higher than we think of him. His reputation is connected to me. And so one of the things God does as a father is he's consuming fire in that he will actively cleanse or clean my house. He will torch 
all that needs to burn and he won't quit until I am clean. This is the nature of the father. And if I continually resist this program of cleaning that he initiates because he's consuming fire, he has another option which you won't like. He'll just tell you, come home and he'll take you home. As in, you ain't changing here, Jacob, so why don't I just change you and bring you to live with me? Don't be scared of death. Just be scared of all the things that will be left undone if that happens. Death is a micro fraction of a second. So, it's over. No, not even, over. You didn't even hear that because it was that fast. So don't be afraid of death. But be afraid of the stuff that is left undone. So I would rather actively participate in his cleaning up here. Where he's cleaning house. Where he's torching all that needs to be burnt. He did this with the temple by the way. Brought a whip and chased out everything. We prayed that last week. So be aware that it's been initiated in prayer. And it will happen to your lives and mine. And it will start with me. So don't think uh, that it won't happen. We asked God for that. And I heard you guys saying, Amen, Amen, as I was praying. Lynn is laughing. Jesus cleansed the temple. In Revelation 3.19, he says, Those that I love, I rebuke. Those that I love, I rebuke. My dad helped me that way tremendously. Look at, listen to these two lines. A guy called Mike Iaconelli said these lines. I love these two lines. The church must become a place where God continually has to tell us, fear not. Why? Because his presence shatters our egos into dust, burns our sin into ashes, and strips us naked to reveal the real person within. And every time your lips say, whoa, I'm undone, you will hear God whispering those three terrifying words. I love you. I'd love us to become a people like this. Where we understand that God is consuming fire. He's Father. He will torch all that is in my life that is unnecessary and doesn't look like Jesus. He'll torch that. He'll clean house. And as I see His magnificence and His jealousy over me, I'll say, like Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6, Woe, I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And as I say that, I'll hear three terrifying words from his lips. I love you. And then the torching becomes easy. I'll open up storerooms in my house that nobody knows of. And I'll say, Father, this one too. This one too. This one too. Because now I'm caught up. In this statement, I dread offending the father I love and I'm open to him taking away things so that he chisels me into another Jesus. Cool thing this fear of God is. What a different take on it, man. Let's look at another reason. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord 
is um, the consciousness of a future appointment. The fear of God is the consciousness of a future appointment. What do I mean by that? Not death. Second Corinthians 5.10 Second Corinthians 5.10 Where it says that sooner or later Matt and I You can pick whichever Matt you want Sooner or later Matt and I Will have to face God Appear before Christ And be judged for the works That Matt and I did here on earth It's called the Bema judgment It's not your eternal security is not in question. You have Christ in you, you're eternally saved. But 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about standing before Christ at what is called the Bema judgment, where he will judge your works and accordingly give you rewards. It's no light thing, guys, to know that one day I will stand in that place of judgment. Paul said... That's why I work urgently with everyone I meet to get them ready to face God. That day God will sit there as father, yes, but he will sit there as a father who wants to see how his son did with what was given to them. And it is no light thing, says God. It is no light thing, says God. When you stand before me that day, Jacob, and have to give an account for uh, how you did. And so Paul says, and look at, um, um, that's why I work urgently with everyone I meet, to get them ready to face God. So there's, there's happy tension, where in Jude 24 it says, and now God is able to present you faultless and blameless before Him. So your eternal security is fine. But yet at the same time, there's Revelations 22:12, which talks about, Shape up, guys. Because you will have to give account for how you lived with what you were given here on earth. First Peter 1.17 Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time here in Vancouver as foreigners in reverent fear. Let me read that again. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in Vancouver in reverent fear. 1 Peter 1.17 So there is a facing God. Not as in, there you are father, come, I'm going to come running to you. And the father said, just one sec Jacob, you are my son, but this is a slightly different scenario. And there were days like that with my dad. Where he would say, okay, I gave you work to do, show me your work. And those days if I went and tried Kuchikuing my dad, it was like pointless. Because he wanted to see what I had done. It's part of his fatherhood. It's not a nasty streak. It is just measuring, evaluating how you did. And each of us has different things to do. I think I told you the story of a pastor who went out with his wife and told his daughter that he wanted... Uh, the her bedroom um, to be tidy when they came back and so he goes and he comes back and as they drive back to their home uh, they're amazed the lawn is mowed they step in and the living room has been vacuumed they go to the kitchen she's washed all the dishes 
they go up to their room and all the papers that were lying have been stacked carefully and they are overjoyed and they want to reward their daughter and they go knock her in her room and want to say such a job well done and there she is in her room and it's a mess nothing has been tidied and the dad withdraws this is an actual story that happened He, he, he relates it and he says I withdrew and I said I'm so sorry I so want to commend you for all the other things you did and yet the one thing that I asked that was what I asked of you you left undone this is when we will still enter heaven by the seat of our pants but what we have built will be tested with fire and some of us will build with gold, silver, diamonds some with hay and straw this is why as you approach 2014 even though God does not work necessarily in chronological years find out Abba, what, what, what is the bedroom you want me to tidy and I'll put my heart to it because there is a facing God that happens there is 1 John 2.28 and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence not to shrink from him in shame at his coming and now little children so these are the children of God these are ones that are saved now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence not to shrink from him in shame at his coming I know I told you this story so I'll shorten it and quickly say it I was at a Bible camp the team that I was leading won because we had 90 points and the team after us had 82 points or thereabouts but if you didn't have your badge on you would lose 10 points and I'm the leader of this group of young kids and they've worked very hard we win the cup and they're going up to get the cup and I realize that I don't have a badge I lost my badge and I know that if they see it the entire group will lose 10 points and we'll come second so they call up the kids for the cup and they have a whole lot of mm, yay 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 and hurrah and uh, uh, medals for each one the only one who did not go up to receive nothing was me with my jacket zipped up right till here stifling but not willing to pull my zipper down because I know that if they see that I don't have a badge the team will suffer so the only guy who did not participate in the medals, in the trophy, in the thing and who was scared to even stand in a picture was me odd eh? and yet we won 1 John 2.28 and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink back in shame at his coming we will be there and yet may it not be said that Rob you didn't do all that you were supposed to do Jacob preached every Sunday but still didn't do what I was supposed to do may that not happen what is the fear of the Lord thirdly or fourthly or whatever it's the scandalous weight of someone of supreme worth dying for me it's the scandalous weight it's the scandalous weight of someone of supreme worth dying for me you know there was a Will Smith movie I'm not recommending this movie I'm just telling you there was a Will Smith movie called Seven Pounds and in this movie 
Will Smith, for reasons uh, that the movie explains in the beginning, is slowly donating his organs to different people so that they may live. So he takes out a kidney and gives it to somebody. He takes out a lung, he gives it to somebody else. And in the end there are these two people, one needs an eye and one needs a heart. And so he literally commits suicide and as he is dying, he calls 911 and he says, I'll be dead in four or five minutes, come quickly so that you can harvest my heart and my eyes. And he helped seven people that way. And in the end, you see these people meeting at an event. And this lady who's got a new heart looks at this guy who's got a new set of eyes. And this lady knew him. And as she's looking into his eyes, she says, I know those eyes. Because those were eyes of her friend. But it's this union of six or seven people who have received different organs from him over a period of time. And they owe him everything. Because they are alive today. They see today. They breathe today. They are able to operate today. Because someone else scandalously gave up organs even while they are living and then killed himself so that some two others could live. The premise is not necessarily Christian. But the point is, there is a scandalous weight of responsibility sometimes when I think of the one who is of the greatest, most supreme worth in the universe, laying down his life so that I may live. And there is now this dread of offending the father I love because of how I now lift up my hands with and heart recklessly abandoned. To I stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who laid it all. Gave it all. I stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. Same principle. The scandalous weight of what he did. Amazing thing, this fear of the Lord is, guys. In Proverbs 16, 6, and Proverbs 8, 13, it says the fear of the Lord is required to turn away from evil. <laughs> it's almost impossible to turn away from evil unless you love the Father and you can only love the Father by recognizing how much He loves me. So therefore upgrade your perception of the Father quickly so that you enter 2014 as a brand new person and you live a life that dreads offending the Father you love. Another scripture says that Proverbs 9.10 and Psalm 111.10 says the fear of God opens my life to wisdom. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is the sum total of all of God's instructions. The sum total of all of God's instructions. The wisdom of God is open to me when I have fear that is born out of love for God. His instructions now are not rules. It's this thing I desire. I'm like a miner panning for gold. More wisdom about want to see, want to see. Why? Because I desire it. There's this <clears throat> to eat about. That's a Greek word too. Try it. 
The other great thing is guys, when you cultivate the fear of God, a strange thing happens. The enemies of God are afraid of you. Because the fear of the Lord falls upon them and that fear is a different fear. So in Second Chronicles 17.10, it says when people walk in the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord falls upon the kingdoms around and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Acts chapter 2 talks about it. And great fear, on one hand, the disciples gathered and they broke bread, had fellowship, indulged in prayers and uh, followed the apostles' doctrine. As they did that, they began to enjoy God. And as they began to grow in the fear of the Lord, strange thing happened. On the rest of the city, the fear of the Lord fell. And that was not this fear. That was as in, let's not mess with these guys. Yeah. So they, there is a dread that of does not like offending the father that you love. And then there is a dread of Jacob, which is leave that nation alone. They have the Lord of God of Israel walking amongst them. There is this falsehood which we have decimated many times and we decimate again today that the closer you get to God, the less room the devil has. There is no truth to the statement that when you get close to God, the devil attacks you more. Not true. Falsehood that is. Let's look at two more verses. I love this. Psalm 25, 12 to 14. Psalm 25, 12 to 14. Psalm 25, 12 to 14. Look at this, man. If any man fears the Lord, he shall be shown the path that he should choose. He shall enjoy Lasting prosperity. And so on. The Lord will confide His purpose and His covenant is theirs to know. Why am I writing this whole thing? Just to illustrate how important this is. If anyone fears the Lord, he shall be shown the path. He shall enjoy lasting prosperity. The Lord shall confide his purpose. And he shall make his covenant theirs to know. Amazing. Um, must be an ivy. Confide as in, hey, um, Mariam, Jeff, uh, I need to talk to you guys. I want to do something at Acts 29. I just need your opinion on it. And I need your help with it because I really think there's something that uh, God wants us to do. So can I uh, talk to you about this and tell you about it? And I want to hear what you have to say about it. And I tell nobody else in this church except you and Jeff. 
And so I'm confiding as in I'm telling you a purpose that I want done. But I'm telling only you. It's, it's because I, there's this friendship, there's this potential that God sees that he begins to confide in you. Abraham becomes his friend. Confiding purpose. Think of all these things that happen. Fascinating. And what's response? How does all this happen? Through the fear of the Lord. Shows me his path. You want God to show you his path. Get into the fear of the Lord which is born out of love and which is the fear of offending the father you love. Want to enjoy lasting prosperity? Want to have him wake you up in the middle of the night saying, Son, I want to talk to you about something I want to do on the earth. Gosh, just think of that. The God of the universe just woke you up. Because he wants to talk to you about a purpose he wants to bring to pass here on earth. Ridiculous, man. But it's true. And then his covenant, his agreement is theirs to know. Greater understanding of this agreement. Like you'll say, oh Jacob, there are 20 pages of um, disclaimers and footnotes. Let me explain them to you. And he begins to explain it. Guys, how does this all happen? Through the fear of God. I, I invite you to, to... Unfortunately, every teaching I keep saying, this is so important, because it is. I wish I could say, this one is the most important. Yeah, but this is so fundamental, man. You can step into things with this. Proverbs 34.9 Fear the Lord, all you His holy people, for those who fear Him lack nothing. Do you have lack in your life? We all do at different points in our lives. Fear the Lord, all you His holy people, for those who fear Him lack nothing. Proverbs 34.9 Psalm 34.9 Sorry. Psalm 34.9 Fear the Lord all you his holy people for those who fear him lack nothing. So at the end of the day guys how do you sustain the, f- the fear of the Lord? Remember it's a fear born out of love that dreads offending the Father. So fall in love. How? By correcting your perception of God. May I suggest to you that one way you can fall in love with, one way you can correct your perception of God is by hanging out with people who have a better perception of God than you presently have. I challenged people on Monday night. I said to them, you want to know the Father better? Come and hang out with us. Find time and instead of sitting at home, find time, come and say, I want to spend time with you. Why? Because you have a perception of God that I do not have. And it begins to rub off, guys. Because how I see God is how I see myself and how I live my life. So, if you have a perception of God that is greater than I, as I live with you, it is impossible to escape your perception of God. Impossible. It will upgrade my estimation of Him. You hang out with me. I'll tell you how wonderful Emirates is as an airline. And I'll convince you to fly Emirates at some point. And I've done that to a few of you. Why? Because you begin to speak of the things that you hold in high esteem. And you begin to diss that which you hold in 
low esteem, like the maple leaves and stuff like that. As in the syrup, I'm talking about the syrup. What did you think? Oh, you're wearing that sweatshirt too. Oh, that is not good, Chris. She didn't mean it, Jason. Oh, okay, well then it's the other maple leaves then. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. I'm just trying to formulate an answer. Here, here's my answer to. Here's my here's my answer to your question. One, when I talk about upgrading our perception of God, it's not a touchy-feely thing. It is knowing the nature of God. Let me give you an example. There's nothing touchy-feely about me and Jason. I think I've told him I love him twice that's about it in the last three years and that too I said it in such a way that it was not touchy feely at all but in the time that I spend with him he's getting to know my nature and I'm getting to know his nature and it's got nothing to do with emotions but it's an understanding of the nature of this person and therefore my perception of Jason is changing and his perception of me is changing. So first of all, when I talk about upgrading our perception of God as a loving father, it has nothing to do with touchy-feely. When touchy-feely comes, I love it, but it has got nothing to do with it. Secondly, the story of Ananias and Sapphira falls into the uh, part I said when I said that our God is a jealous, consuming fire. And therefore, he will torch the things that need to be burnt and will clean the house. And in that instance, he was not being nasty to Ananias and Sapphira because we see death as nasty. For him, it's a removal from one plane to the other. But it was a cleaning of a fledgling church which would have been corrupted by what was happening had it spread because it had the nature of contaminating sin and therefore they were removed. Which is why I said that when God is consuming fire and I continuously resist the torching of areas in my life that need to change, God says, come home son. You are not going to change here. I've spent years, you've resisted me, I can't do anything with your free will. But you did exert your free will to receive me into your life, so come home. And in an instant as I die, I'm transformed in soul to perfection and my spirit is perfect anyways and I live with him now. So that's how I would answer you. So it's like the cultivated to get that Psalm 25 easy life. I, like how do you, okay, the one aspect is learning God's fatherhood type thing, but there's got to be sort of more to, like make it grow, you got to build it just so that That is a large aspect. That is a large aspect. 
everything in my life changes according to the perception of God that I have and my perception changes through the word, through the work of the spirit and through the ones that I associate with. This is vital guys. Three things that change my perception of God. What the Holy Spirit does because he changes people. The word of God which gives me a correct understanding. And three, the people that I associate with. Please. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the work of the Spirit of God. Says it to him. Yeah. And that's the work of the Spirit. Yeah. And the Spirit of God is so willing to do that. Remember, James says that the Spirit of God yearns over you jealously. What a beautiful word. The Spirit of God yearns over you, Jacob, jealously. The same jealousy that the Father has, the Spirit of God has over me. He wants me to know the Father's love. He'll do that. And um, this is not easy life. This is God life. It's God life. It's not easy life. It's God life. I would suggest to you that living out there and getting these things is much easier. (laughs) How do you sustain this? One, by correcting your perception of the Father so that you can you can you can you can live in the dread of offending the father you love. And two, Proverbs 2, 1 to 6 talks about it. Proverbs 2, 1 to 6. It says there, if you receive my word, if you treasure my commandment, if you call out for insight, you will understand the fear of the Lord. Gosh! If you receive my word, if you treasure my commandments, David got the hang of it. How can a man keep himself pure? How can he keep his way straight? By cherishing your law. If you receive my word, receive with meekness, receive with a quality of hearing that is outstanding. Where you receive the word, where you treasure his commandments, and where you ask or call out or cry out for insight, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. When you combine that with this Dread of offending the father you love. (laughs) That's Greek too. (laughs) David said in Psalm 86, Teach me your way, O Lord, so I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Bless you guys. Let's break bread. As you break bread, as we break bread, um, I want uh, us to do... Man, we are so doing well for time. Uh, As we break bread, uh, and you take bread and go, I want you to take one of these scriptures from this. I've got uh, verses written in this. I want you to take one of these verses. And throughout this week, I want you to break this verse down. And meditate on it. Chew on it. Let it change your thinking. Because much of it has to do with either 
the nature of God or what God wants for you. Come, so many people were inside there. Wow. When I'm done, you can you can stop it now. Thanks. <laughs>